HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Professor Fenster's Magic Smoke. Has your computer been running slow? New equipment not operating the way it should? Maybe it's just running low on the stuff that makes all electronics work. What's that, you ask? Electricity? No! It's Magic Smoke! You may never have known what it was, but if you've ever seen a device die with a pop, sizzle, and a release of plume of opaque gas, then you've seen Magic Smoke. Top off your electronics today with a six-ounce can of Professor Fenster's Magic Smoke. Welcome back. This is episode number 102. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. How do we go about doing that? Well, we do that by sharing lessons learned that I bring back from the field and talking to industry experts that fill your ear holes full of HVAC knowledge. But we don't really stop there. Um, We also have a, we double double down on HVAC goodness. If you go over to HVAC360.com, sign up for my mailing list there, and you will join the growing community of HVAC enthusiasts just like you. So, what's up for this week? I'm super excited. We get to talk with Jason Gagan, who is from the U.S. Draft Company. Uh, I met him the other day at a local ASHRAE meeting. And his presentation on boiler venting was really, it was excellent. There's a number of things that he mentioned that I had forgotten. There's also a couple of things that he mentioned that I never thought of. So I thought I'd get him on the show and talk to him a little bit about boiler venting since we're getting into the colder months. So without further ado, let's cut to the tape. All right, today we're talking with Jason Gagan, who's the a, uh, uh, national sales manager for U.S. Draft Company. How are you doing today, Jason? Good. How are you, sir? I am doing fantastic. So, U.S. Draft, uh, tell us a little bit about who they are and what they do. Sure. U.S. Draft is a uh, mechanical draft manufacturer out of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, we manufacture fans, um, overdraft dampers and all of the controls and accessories that go along with it to maintain proper draft, proper combustion air um, for any type of gas-fired appliances. So I, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about um, boiler venting today. What What is, I mean, is, is improper venting really a big deal? It probably is the biggest deal, and it's the most overlooked uh, issue in the boiler room and, and throughout this conversation we'll use the word boiler but it really applies to uh, domestic water heaters pool heaters even gas furnaces or unit heaters and the problem is is that it is something that is tough to um, diagnose without the proper tools and it's tough to overcome without uh, looking at some other forms like mechanical draft and the reason for it is improper venting can affect your combustion um, or it will affect your combustion which also then affects your thermal efficiencies and it deteriorates parts much more quickly, um, whether it's your burner or your combustion chamber. And unfortunately it's always the last thing that's thought of. So it's kind of put together, you know, with extra fittings and extra T's and extra pipe 
that may or may not be necessary and may or may not allow that boiler or appliance to fire properly. So now I guess what, uh, when we talk about venting, I know there's a, there's, you know, if you're familiar with, familiar with it at all, you know that there is basically four classifications for venting. Um, and there's a, there's a typical diagram that goes along with that. You know, if you, if you t- take, you know, like a, just a, a, like a cross and along the X axis you have on the left side, you have the negative and on the right side, you have the positive pressure within the, uh, the vent. And then on the y-axis, we have the, uh, you know, condensing um, to, you know, condensing on the, what is it, condensing on the bottom to, you mm-hmm. know, to uh, non-condensing on the top. Um, right. So, I guess, you know, w- can you describe some of the, you know, in, what, when you look at that, what what's important about that? What should people understand when they look at that diagram? Sure. So, that's the, uh, the ANSI vending categorization chart uh, that you're re- referencing there. And and that determines what type of material, uh, well, that determines what the boiler is, is categorized as, which then determines the type of venting material. Um, so you talked about the, the vertical, the Y is the condensing and non-condensing. The biggest thing that's um, maybe misunderstood about that is that people think, well, I have a, a non-condensing boiler, so it's probably on the top side of that chart. Um, this has nothing to do with the boilers' uh, capabilities of condensing. There are there are non-condensing boilers that would be considered a category or condensing uh, boiler when it comes to venting. Typically, that 85 plus efficiency is kind of that breakpoint where it t- goes from a non-condensing system to a condensing system on the venting side. Um, so, category one would be negative pressure non-condensing. Um, so where negative pressure, meaning that Mother Nature is pulling those flue products out, right? Um, those are there's a lot of limitations, and um, ASHRAE gives a or excuse me, NFPA gives an entire chapter on how to vent Category One appliances. Um, those are standard B vent UL441. Categories two, three, and four, for various reasons, um, all use UL1738 special gas vent. Um, it's a it's a listing uh, for the UL standard listing for um, pressurized and or uh, corrosive conditions like condensing um, vent systems. So categories two would be negative condensing, category three being positive non-condensing, category four being condensing and positive. Now, I guess, you know, and positive, I guess we positive negative. When you talked about the, the negative side, obviously that is the, the atmospheric, the, you know, the mother nature's drafting um, with that. Um, and obviously on the other side, you have the positive and that's where you're actually, you have a fan on the combustion appliance that's actually correct. pushing, um, pushing air up the stack. Correct. 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 So there's um, most Many of the boilers manufactured today have a uh, fan built into the unit that helps with the combustion process, and that fan uh, is capable of then pushing those flue products up to anywhere from 30 to 100 feet, depending on the manufacturer. Um, Once you exceed those limits, that's where mechanical draft comes into play. Um, But it also kind of applies to mechanical draft fans, so if you're using an inline fan, anything on the inlet side of that fan would be a negative pressure. Anything on the on the outlet side would be a positive pressure. So if you were to use an inline fan, uh, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, but um, if you were to use an inline fan on a Category 1, for instance, the system itself would be negative. But once you get to that fan, everything past that is now positive. So 
you have to make sure that uh, you know you're you're looking at that when you're when you're sizing up your systems. And I, I think it's important to, important to point out too that when you look at this diagram, you have a lot of uh, the older style, you know, water heaters, boilers. They are the classic um, category one type venting. And when you look at some of the newer stuff uh, that has a you know a power vent on it, um, that's going to be more efficient. You know, uh, condensing boilers. That's going to be more of your four. Uh, your your four categories, so they're kind of opposite quadrants of this uh, diagram. Correct, correct. And and as you were mentioning, the newer style, um, you know, prepackaged sealed combustion. Um, and I guess the kind of sidebar that's that's how you get some of those efficiencies is that you're controlling the combustion process. If you have a big draft hood, atmospheric um, boiler category one you can't control the at the air to gas mixture, right? You just get the air that's given and you set up your gas for whatever it is. When you get into these sealed combustion units, that's where you can really dial in your air to gas mixture. So now you can start to tighten up your combustion efficiencies. Um, and depending on the, the application, whether it's vertical or horizontal, how much horizontal versus how much vertical, that determines whether it's gonna be a positive or a negative. It could be positive at the outlet, but then go negative in the vertical. Um, so it really does depend. And that's why two and four both share the same listing so that you can use the same material um, no matter which which case it is. Now, I, I guess to kind of go over once again, when we talk about the, the non-condensing in the stack and the condensing in the stack, I mean, how does, you know, because as an engineer, you know, you, you'd look at a boiler and you go, you know, right away, okay, it's a condensing, non-condensing. Um, you, you could probably identify that. So you're like, oh, this should be pretty easy. But it's in the stack. So how does that, uh, how do you determine, you know, if you are going to be kind of, I guess, you know, in what, you know, how, how can you determine whether or not that's going to change your category? Sure. So uh, by code, the boiler manufacturer has to, has to list what categories they are listed under. Um, many boilers that are category one that are sealed combustion can also be category three. Um, most boilers that are above that 85% are going to be either category two or four. Um, so it really comes down to the boiler manufacturer. And when you're designing your systems, working with that manufacturer to say, we are installing, you know, brand X boiler and we're going out this much and up that much and kind of giving a, a general layout. Um, and most boiler manufacturers or their representatives can assist you with that. And that's why it, it's, it's helpful the fact that a near condensing or condensing boiler, again, 85, 86% up, um, the material doesn't change. Where it, where it gets tricky is knowing that if I'm, you know, people look at it and say, well, I'm terminating vertical, so it must be a category two because I'm getting natural lift. If you're doing a 70 foot horizontal run and a 10 foot vertical, that is never going to be negative. There's no chance of that being negative just based on the math. Um, so now you're getting into category four, and then you have to start looking at how much distance can that category four appliance run. So from a material standpoint, um, on the near condensing or condensing, it's actually fairly easy compared to the non-condensing boilers, because that's where, um, and typically those are your horizontal stage fired, um, 82 to 84% that are category one naturally. You'll put a barometric, you go vertical, couple stories, and it works just like a draft hood appliance, just a little bit more efficient. 
where it goes category three is in your sidewall applications or in some direct vent applications where the boiler is now doing the, the grunt of the work, right? That, that internal fan is starting to, to give some of that push back to the vent or push to the vent material. So now you're going to go positive and that's where it's goes from being a B vent application to a special gas vent application. So let's get into the, uh, the materials a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. What, uh, I mean, you know, you've seen a lot of materials out there. So what, sure. just tell us about the materials that typical boiler venting would, would have. Sure. So category one is, as I mentioned, UL441 uh, is the listing, the official listing, uh, standard double wall B vent. Um, it's available at most hardware stores around the country. Um, every supply house uh, typically stocks, you know, a, a B vent style double wall galvanized or gal aluminum uh, blend uh, two, three, and four. The, I guess the uh, misconception is that if it's a condensing application, you have to use uh, AL 29, C, which is a, an alloy that is used by manufacturers for UL 1738. But it's not the only listing uh, UL, UL 1738 doesn't actually mention anything about materials other than they, they must meet certain criteria for corrosion. And so uh, many vent manufacturers have gone to 316L stainless steel, um, 444 stainless steel. Um, Even there's a a plastic manufacturer um, or several manufacturers that are using a plastic blend um, called polypropylene, um, which goes through the same testing that that the Stainless steel vent pipe manufacturers go through for corrosion and, and pressure. Um, so there's there's a lot of different options. Um, my advice is always, no matter what you're doing, um, just make sure it's a UL listed product. Um, many vent manufacturers are starting to offer or allow for uh, PVC and CPVC um, as a venting venting guy. I, I, I'm not a fan of putting flu products into a product that's not listed for that application. Um, there's no way that they can meet the 1738 requirements. And so therefore they don't even try. And many plastic pipe manufacturers don't even encourage using their products for that application. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot of limitations to PVC and CPVC that, um, that haven't really, uh, people haven't really dug into enough in my mind to, uh, to do that. So um, my advice is always use a UL listed product, even if the boiler manufacturer says, hey, we can use PVC or CPVC. Um, there's a lot of things you can do in life that you shouldn't. So that's that's one of those in my mind. So and that's, you know, to me that I, I see, you know, a lot of the, you know, I just see it everywhere. Um, from, you know, even my own home to, to you know, uh-huh. commercial applications um, that they'll run, you know, the, the, uh, the vent piping, um, you know, in plastic, uh, you know, PVC uh-huh. or CBVC. Um, so that, that seems, you know, it's, I guess it's so easy, so easy to cut, so easy to handle. Um, sure. You can just buy it off the shelf or whatever, but it's not, uh-huh. like you said, I guess it's not UL listed. So that's, uh, that creates a lot of problems. Um, yeah, there's, I'm sorry. No, no. The, the, yeah, if you don't mind me, just real quick, the, the, the problem with PVC or the, some of the struggles is there's, uh, you know, there's temperature ratings on the on the pipe. Um, you know, they, they have a quote unquote melting point um, to where PVC is at about 155 at atmosphere, CPVC about 190 at atmosphere. 
And so since UL is not going to list the vent pipe, um, they then have put it back on the boiler manufacturer and the boiler manufacturer then puts limitations on the boiler when using those products. Um, typically some kind of a temperature sensor or temperature limiter on the flue that if you start to exceed the temperature limit of that material, um, it will either derate or shut off the boiler. So now, you know, when it's put in its proper application, though it's in my mind still not correct because it's not UL listed, um, PVC and CPVC can be used and, and work okay. Um, where you get into these struggles is they just look at it and say, well, the boiler can vent with PVC, so let's use that. But what they don't look at is their, their water temperature affects your flue temperature. So if your water temperatures are going to exceed, say, 110 degrees on your return, um, you're probably going to overheat that stack, which then will limit or uh, shut off the boiler. So there's a lot of these, again, things you can do that you shouldn't. And, and to me, if you want to cover yourself on all cases, in all systems, under all conditions, um, use the UL listed product. Now, I guess what is um, when they say when you say that there the uh, there's going to be a setting that limits the the temperatures. Is that something that is going to be set in the field or set at the factory? No, that's typically a factory set um, sensor, and each boiler manufacturer, depending on uh, you know what they've gotten approved. Again, they've had to go through testing to do this um, through their through their categorization listings. Um, so they'll set that for, you know, typically it's anywhere from 135 to 150 degrees um, for, for PVC. Um, some people that don't offer PVC that will allow CPVC, that might be about 180 degrees. It's just underneath whatever that, whatever they feel comfortable with. Um, there is no, I don't believe, um, and maybe this has changed and, and I'll have to, to dig into it, but I don't believe there's an actual requirement temperature setting. Um and it doesn't require you to shut the boiler off. It just requires you to lower your firing rate or lower the temperature of the boiler. Or to do that, you have to lower the firing rate. Um, so it, it, it really, it's kind of that, you know, whatever the boiler manufacturer feels is safe. And, and so it's, it's but it's, it's all uh, factory set typically. Okay. So now I, I guess um, talking about uh, the, the different sizes, obviously, you know, PVC, CBVC, um, mm -hmm. very, you see it a lot in, in, you know, the smaller three inch, four inch applications. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of it in larger applications. Is there a reason for that? Well, cost, um, you know, when you get into uh, eight, 10, even 12 inch PVC, um, it's not cheap. It, it's as long as you're using schedule 40, which is Another quick sidebar, foam core should never, ever be used for anything when it comes to heat, right? Um, though I've seen it tried, um, but typically they want you either in Schedule 40 or Schedule AB, PVC or CPVC. And when you start getting into those true heavier plastics, um, the cost of the pipe itself is, it can be pricey. Um, the cost of handling it is now, uh, you know, again, 10-inch PVC uh, in 10-foot lengths is not, is not light, so now you're getting much more manpower to, to, to handle that. Um, so once you get above that, you know, again, depending on the market, depending on uh, cost of commodities and such, but that six to eight inch range, it's probably just as, you know, cost effective to use stainless steel or polypropylene. Um, polypropylene is a real good alternative in that size. Um, and then 10, 12 inch, again, you're starting to get that crossover from poly to stainless 
um, where PVC is actually the least cost effective. Um, and then you get into the fact that you should be using high temp glues and primers. Um, so then the cost just continues to, to go up from there. So I guess the, the moral of the story here is, is read the manufacturer's information on the installation. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a commissioning guy, so I know that contractors, um, you know, because of, you know, uh, schedule constraints and things like that, or just because they don't know and they did it on the last job and they think they can do it on this job, they might substitute materials. They might put in the wrong thing. So, uh, make sure you check that out, uh, when you're out in the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you were to say to, for me, if you want to cover yourself under all circumstances for all systems, um, require UL 1738 for your venting. Um, it, it gives you a lot less limitations. Um, that's what all of the sizing charts and everything that, that um, the different manufacturers use. Um, PVC doesn't even have K values listed. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things about PVC and CPVC that just create a lot of gray area to me. And when you're dealing with a, a you know, deadly flu gases, because you know, obviously there are deadly gases in your flu gas that uh, it's just not something to, that I personally would want to mess with um, from a liability standpoint or from an operational standpoint. Sure. So I guess, can you tell me the difference now? I mean, we, we, we've gone through the materials. What, you know, as far as installing it and putting it in, um, the difference between NFPA 54 and the ASHRAE fundamentals. What, how sure. do you, what's the difference between those two? Sure. So NFPA 54 is kind of our rule book. Uh, it tells us what we can and can't do with venting, um, depending on the category, depending on uh, various limitations, you know, whatever it may be. ASHRAE is more of our uh, how to get there. It, it's the how to do it book, right? How to size for pressure loss, how to size for theoretical draft uh, and, 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 and the such. So those are the two primary things that we use as a company when it comes to sizing gas venting. Um, you know, we, we, we know what our limitations are based on NFPA 54, and then we know what the, what the, the, the math is, that what the calculations are based off of the ASHRAE handbook. So when you're dealing with uh, appliances, you know, typically, you know, one appliance, you can just size the vent, you know, vent it outside. You're probably you're probably okay. A couple you you get like two or three, um, and that's the thing. I mean, with with especially when you think about it, when you're dealing with heating appliances, and this may not necessarily be you know the case down south, uh, mm-hmm. but in in the northern climates, um, you're going to have redundancy. You're going to have multiple boilers to make sure that you have a backup. Uh, they might mm-hmm. run at the same time, so you're going to end up you know putting them into the same header. Um, mm-hmm. that can be a little bit difficult and tricky. And I guess that's probably where draft inducers, um, the different you know, pro- types of products that you mm-hmm. represent come into play. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and, you know, I, I guess to, to kind of give some, you know, backstory. Yes, you're right. In the South, we don't have the heating load, but, um, there are many times in the South boilers are actually used, uh, are, are put in a more difficult situation because they're using their boilers to heat up the room or heat up the building in the morning. But by lunchtime, they're shutting those boilers off and putting their, their air conditioning system online because, um, you know, solar gain and such. So in, in Texas, there's several school systems where they'll, they'll run their boilers for three hours in the morning and then shut them down and then run the chillers to run the AC system. Typically in the north, you turn the boilers on and they just run until March or April or May. Um, so it's actually in the south is kind of a misconception that 
boilers are actually more critical sizing in the South because they're used less. And what I mean by that is, as you said, you might put two, three, four boilers into a, into a common stack, and the math adds up that that common stack will work great when all four boilers are running. But if you're considering one of those is a redundant boiler, you've now oversized your, your stack by a third, and you figure that those three boilers were sized for the, the full, uh, you know, ASHRAE design day, which typically, you know, is not every day of the year. So now you're maybe only running two of those boilers. But with turndown and rotations and all of that, all of that affects how your boilers are vented. And so even if the math shows that my, for example, four 2 million BTU boilers will vent properly in this common stack, because it's sized properly to NFPA, it's sized properly to ASHRAE, meets all of the requirements, but is it going to perform properly under all conditions? Whether it's a five to one turndown boiler, a 10 to one turndown boiler, some of these larger boilers are now getting 20 and 25 to one turndowns. So you're sizing even individual boilers, you're sizing a boiler for, or a stack for six million BTUs individually, and that turndown goes down uh, you know, 10 to one, that's only 600,000 BTUs going up that stack. Will you have draft performance all the time? Maybe or maybe not. So that's where mechanical draft comes in. And the best thing about mechanical draft and the products we make and a couple of our competitors, it's all based on pressure. So we really aren't looking at, um, you know, what the the boiler firing rate is. We're not looking at the outdoor temperature versus, you know, ambient or ambient versus fluid temperatures. All we're doing is trying to maintain a pressure. And typically on these, uh, on the packaged boilers, that's, that's what they're looking for as well. What kind of back pressure or what kind of negative pressure are we seeing at the outlet of the boiler? Um, so we get into, you know, whether it's a, a termination style fan or inline fans, um, it's all going through a, a master controller that's taking readings in the stack of pressure. And then we're just going to modulate that fan based on that pressure. As boilers turn on, that pressure is going to increase, start to approach positive. Our sensor will see that ramp the fan up to decrease that pressure. So I know, especially when I first learned about these, there was it was you know very much a a fan that you put on on the uh, on the terminal on the on the end mm-hmm. of the stack. What other varieties do you have of uh, you know configurations? Sure. So US Draft, um, we have two different types of inlines. We have a straight through and a ninety degree fan. So um, you know, draft fan manufacturers are really starting to see. Um, and the reason being is, again, 20, 30 years ago, we talked about uh, pressures in stack. If you had an old Category 1 B-Vent system and you wanted to put a fan on it, you couldn't use an inline fan without changing all of the stack downstream of that fan because now it's positively pressured. So they would put a termination fan and just keep the entire stack negative. More and more with um, boilers using UL1738, which is rated for pressure, um, it makes more sense from a maintenance standpoint and from an installation standpoint to try and keep everything in the mechanical room. So you can have your common, you can have your fan, you can have your drive, your controls, your sensors, everything is in that mechanical room rather than maybe putting it up on a three, four, 10 story roof, having to run electrical signal wire, all of that. Um, so inline fans are really, I would say um, a majority of our business, we still do a lot of termination fans um, because there are still a lot of older boilers out there um, that they want to use, you know, their old B-Vent system, for instance, or they just don't have the space in the uh, in the mechanical room. But I would say a majority of our business is more more of the inline 
uh, type product. Now, I guess what what are some of the the knocks against the the um, these uh, draft inducers? Well, I, the the biggest pushback I always get is that it's a single fail point for the system. Um, you know, if you have three, four boilers, again, we talk about redundancy, having an extra boiler in there. So if one goes down, you still have full load. And then, but there's only one fan and there's only one controller. And so there's no redundancy. And my, my response is absolutely. That's, that's a single fail point. If you put one fan and one controller, something were to happen, though we try and make the highest quality product we can, it's a mechanical piece of equipment and eventually it will, uh, you know, need to be repaired. So that was kind of the same argument 40 years ago when redundant pumps started coming into play, or that's, that's how the modular boiler really started to make, you know, become popular is because you would have one large, you know, fire tube or water tube type boiler with one large, uh, you know, full flow system pump. And if anyone, any component on either of those products went down, the whole system lost heat. So they started to put in these smaller multiple boilers so you could have that redundancy. And then engineers started saying, well, if we have redundant boilers, now we need redundant pumps. So instead of putting two large pumps, they'll put, or instead of putting one large pump, they'll put two slightly smaller pumps. One can handle 70% of the load, maybe 80% of the load. Um, or they'll put in, you know, 200% full redundancy pumps. And for whatever reason, that mentality has not shifted into draft controls. Um, anytime we do medical facilities, hospitals, whatever, um, that's required. So we'll, we'll, we'll put two fans with two controllers, with a redundancy controller, um, and be able to fully automatically, just like the pumps, just like your boilers, automatically switch between systems. Um, and so obviously there's added costs to that. And for whatever reason, that just hasn't really taken hold. Um, it, it's, it's tough to explain because again, when you walk into a mechanical room, you typically see two of everything, whether it's, you know, again, boilers, pumps, um, sensors, that type of stuff. So that, that's really the biggest knock I get, and that's always been my response is, but well, we can fix that and, and, and sort that out. But it, it, It's just money. It's just money, exactly. And, 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 you know, of course, it's easy for me to say as the, as the fan manufacturer trying to sell more fans, right? But um, in the grand scheme of, of the mechanical room, um, the draft, you know, the, the, the mechanical draft system is maybe going to be 5, 8, maybe 10% of your, of your project at most even with a redundant system um it's you're not looking at adding you know you're not doubling the mechanical room cost you're adding some cost no question about that and, and there's a little bit more wiring a little bit more installed to it but when you look at and you know i always i always kind of chuckle when they say well it's adding six thousand dollars to the project and i'm i'm thinking yeah that that's a six hundred thousand dollar boiler room so i've added one percent to your boiler room and if there's not a 1% fluff in someone's numbers somewhere, um, then we got bigger budgeting issues than my mechanical draft system. So, you know, there are definitely ways to do it. And, and we can be very creative with, uh, with the designers to say, okay, we, we won't give you 100% redundancy. We'll size two fans for 60% of the load. And in an emergency, one fan goes down or one controller goes down. You'll have 60% of your boiler plant. Are you satisfied with that for the four hours or eight hours or however many, you know, however long that they can be down. Um, but if it's critical, like I said, hospitals, schools, sometimes industrial plants that say we must have our boilers online 24 seven, well, then buy redundant fans. That's the only way we can guarantee that. 
Okay. Now I, I know that there's a different product that's that's sneaking into your your port- portfolio. They're called mm-hmm. individual uh, connector draft system. Can you can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> sure. So we introduced the CDS um, about a year, fourteen months ago now, um, last July, late July, and it's a concept that our engineers have been, I guess, working on for probably about three years prior. They for you know the the 35 plus years of mechanical draft here in the states, it's always been about the system, and for category one appliances and for um, you know even the the, the high or the low turn down uh, category two and four that will probably work very well in most cases. It'll keep you within a range, but with these newer technology boilers that are very very precise on their um, on their draft. Um, well, let me restate that. Many boilers nowadays give you a range of what they can handle on their draft at the outlet. And every every time you get something from a boiler manufacturer, they're saying, here's the pressures we want to see at the flue outlet of our boiler. They really don't care what's going on past that. They just want to know what's going on at their boiler. Now, granted, whatever's happening past that will affect what happens at their boiler. But that's what matters is the flue outlet pressure. And a boiler manufacturer may say, hey, we can handle plus or minus quarter inch uh, of, of pressure. And you think, okay, great. I've got a half an inch swing in my flu system that I can work with. Do I stay within that half inch swing? Yes, I do. It, and then we green light the vent. What, what I, I would caution you on is that while they can handle that, most boiler manufacturers would not want to see that kind of a swing. Um, if you can tell a boiler manufacturer and, or a startup tech or a commissioning uh, agent that I can give you this pressure and that pressure can be anywhere within their range. So we'll use that quarter inch um, plus or minus quarter inch as an example. If I can say, I'll set my controls at a 0.05 negative or a 0.05 positive in a common vent system. And I will always under all conditions set that or maintain that pressure. Now that boiler manufacturer commissioning agent can go in there and dial down their combustion into a more precise, um, you know, a, a better combustion setup so that it's it's more stable, more efficient, which then gives you your proper heat transfer, which then starts, you know, to see those thermal efficiency uh, numbers that they're publishing. And it will not only uh, operate better, but then it'll, it'll be easier to maintain because now you're not getting improper combustion. You're not getting overdraft and um, overdraft on these newer premix mesh burners um, start creating pinholes in their burner. And those burners start to wear out very quickly. And so by putting the CDS, the connector draft system, an individual draft controller on each appliance, we are now maintaining draft at the boiler where it matters most. Now that common, if, if you do that individually, obviously size the individual stack to maintain um, what we call worst case scenario. And then we kind of start to use the damper to choke that off. If it's in a common vent system, we size the common for that worst case scenario and, and allow the damper to control, but now it's controlling at the boiler. And that's really what matters to these 93, 95, 98% efficient boilers is that we start to trim that. We, we, we take that half an inch range and we choke it down to two hundredths of an inch. So I'm going to maintain my set point of a 0.05 negative. I'm going to maintain 0.04 to 0.06, 365 days a year. So if my draft is affected by outdoor temperature, doesn't matter to me because I'm going to maintain that with the damper. Um, firing rate doesn't matter. I'm going to maintain it with the damper. 
and it's it to me it's taking that technology of um again to analogize from back in the day you had one big boiler with one big pump and it was a full flow system and whatever the system needed that's what the boiler got well as we went into modular boilers and these smaller type boilers they had a very specific flow rate so to maintain that very specific flow rate you put a, a primary secondary system in where the boilers had their own primary pumps the system had a secondary pump so the system pumps did the system the boiler pumps did the boiler this is that's pretty much what we're doing with this we can have a mechanical draft system to do the system to do the common and then we have a a, a cds the connector draft system working on just for the boiler um, and it really allows us a lot of creativity and a lot more flexibility on um, our, on our venting systems we have several systems nowadays that they're doing the common vent natural and it will under most conditions be a negative and so we'll set it for a slight negative or we'll set it for a slight positive at the boiler but there are times that that stack can go positive and in that scenario um, we have the, the positive shut off so if the boiler's not running it's positively shut it off to the rest of the system and it it really allows um, a much better control of your draft which again to me um, I've been taught this from you know from the time I was uh, introduced in the industry by my father and, and from others but he instilled to me that 90% of your boiler issues are venting related. So if I can, if I can eliminate 90% of your boiler issues with a simple device, um, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good, uh, you know, ratio. So what, what when you talk about 90%, let's talk about some of the issues that you can have with improper mm -hmm. venting. I mean, what, what, what would you see? So if you have too much draft, um, that's where we get into the, the, the flame pulling off the burner. Um, you're, you're literally pulling the, most of these, the mesh head burners, the flame is anywhere from a half an inch to, to an inch and a half, um, I guess, height to the, to the flame. And, but the, the, the base of the flame is right on or just off the, the mesh. When you start to pull that flame away where it's not, it's not igniting until it's off the burner. Now you start pulling, start getting hot spots on your burner, which then start to crack and, and uh, cause issues on the burner. If you're getting, if you don't have enough draft, um, now you start to soot, you have some, you have incomplete combustion because you're not getting enough air transferring through that heat exchanger. So it starts to soot up and then it starts to cake onto the uh, heating surface, which then becomes an insulator, which then means you don't get your proper uh, heat transfer. So there's, <laughs> excuse me, there are so many, and, and those are the two main things. It, it has to do with combustion, right? If I can't get the flue gases out properly, um, it's going to affect how I how I burn. And if you if you took your car and and restricted your muffler, you know, or restricted your your exhaust pipe, your motor is not going to run properly. Um, if you are overcharging it with you know too much pull, it's not going to get enough uh, proper combustion. So it's really about maintaining that combustion, giving it the time to mix in the in the you know uh combustion box igniting in the off the burner maintaining heat transfer properly through the appliance and then out the stack so i know that there's different advantages that you can use um these uh, uh draft inducers for mm -hmm. say for instance you had a uh, um a boiler stack that was not the right height off of the you know off the roof 
Mm-hmm. Can can you make up for? I mean, how how are some of the applications that you can kind of uh, maybe make an architect happy? Not not that that's your entire job, but how could you make an architect happy by using absolutely. a draft inducer? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, many of the codes that are written, um, and that being one of them, typically. So there's a uh, reference in the code book about the height of your stack, how tall your stack has to be, and depending on the situation, it's anywhere from two to three feet above anything within 10 feet. So um, if you're within 10 feet of a parapet wall, for, for instance, you have to be three, two feet above the parapet, but three feet above the roof. Um, pitched roof, same thing. You have to go out 10 feet and clear it by two to three feet, depending on uh, the situation. With Within that code, it also states, uh, you know, it must do this, 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 or this, or be an engineered system. When you start to use mechanical draft systems, we are considered an engineered system. So as a designer, you say, hey, my stack has to clear this wall by three feet. Um, and But I don't want to see that from the from the street level because the architect or the owner of the building doesn't want to uh, you know, see stacks protruding out their building. They can put a mechanical draft band on that and overcome that. Um, same thing with oversized stacks. Um, you know, there, there's a... Uh, the seven times area rules, so basically your smallest vent, um, let me restate that, your largest vent, uh, the area of your largest vent cannot exceed the area of your smallest vent by more than seven times. Um, this is a big problem in, in schools that were built in the 50s and 60s, had one big boiler with a 24 or 28 or 32 inch com- you know, chimney, and then they decide that they're going to go down to smaller boilers that can be dumped into that chimney. Um, and a little 40 gallon water heater and the boilers might make it, but that water heater never will draft. Um, if you, and the reason being is you can't heat up the stack enough to get natural draft through that for, you know, that, that little water heater. So we put a mechanical draft fan on it and it now is, is mechanically inducing that draft through that stack. Um, combining categories, you're not allowed by code. You're not allowed to put a category one and category four boiler in the same stack. Um, because of pressure differences and corrosion, um, but more so for the pressures. And so you put a mechanical fan on it, it's now an engineered system, so we can now start to combine products. So again, it gives you as a designer, whether it's for architectural or um, you know limitations, um, if, if the owner says, hey, we just replaced our roof and we can't cut a hole in it, and so you have one hole to put these four different appliances in, um, good luck. <laughs> you know, that's what they tell you. Here's your limitations. Now go. And you look at it and say, well, I can't put this category one water heater that's sitting here in with my new category four boilers. So I either need a new hole or I need a draft in. Um, those are, those are the three biggest ones that we see um, when it comes to code, you know, overcoming code issues um, with, with mechanical draft. So I guess, yeah, kind of wrapping up a little bit. Is mm-hmm. there is there any advice that you can give for uh, anyone listening, any designers out there that um, they should consider, or any tips when they're actually designing vent systems? What I've always told my contractors and engineers is that venting should always be the first thing that you look at. Everyone typically, when a boiler is selected, they look at the efficiencies. Maybe they'll look at the um, the turndown ratio. Maybe they'll look at um, you know the, the, their water design, you know, their design system. Okay, we're going to do a, a 
a snow melt system or a radiant system where it's going to be a low temp system so we can use condensing and really soak up some of that energy. And that's fantastic. But if you can't vent that boiler properly, you'll never be able to get the efficiency numbers they're looking at. So um, many times from a design standpoint, just look at your venting first. That's, that's what I would look at first is you say, we're looking at this type of a product. Can I vent that product? If that answer is yes, great. Now we can get into how do we pipe it? How do we get gas to it? How do we get electric to it? Because typically, um, most systems using primary, secondary, that boiler pump can overcome a couple extra fittings. And, and I tell the contractors the same thing. If you're going to install that pot, that boiler, set the boiler and at least stub out the, the beginning of your vent, natural or, or uh, mechanically, just come out and go up and get above where all of that mess is. Most of these boilers have everything on the back, which is very um, real nice for a, a final install but it limits you on what you can and can't do with certain things. And if you've run your water pipe and you've run your gas pipe and you've dropped your electrical conduit, and now you have to get a 10, 12, 14 inch flue through all of that, much more difficult than if you come out with your 14 inch flue and then try and figure out how to use your two inch piping or two and a half inch pipe around that. So to me, venting should be the first thing you look at in all circumstances for any gas fired appliances. All right, fantastic. So, if any of our listeners out there want to learn more about venting, uh, where can they where can they go? Sure. So, our website is uh, www.usdraftco.com. So, usdraftco.com. Um, all of our products, all of our uh, many discussions about the things that we talked about today um, has our contact li- uh, list there, and they can get a hold of me, and we can uh, direct them to their local uh, representatives. Um, Ashray is a great, a great resource. Um, the code books are really starting to get up to date. They're, they're really starting to refine for categories two and four. Um, but, uh, best, best source is to check out our website, uh, get a hold of us. We can take a look at your system and determine, you know, whether or not a mechanical draft is, uh, is going to be helpful. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Jason, talking about boiler venting. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jason Gagan for taking the time to chat with us. Check out show notes for some of the links that we mentioned too in the show and also his presentation. I snuck a link to our local ASHRAE website uh, so you can take a look at what the presentation looked like if some of these graphs and some of the things we talked about didn't really make you know, audio sense to you if you need to actually look at some of these things. Um, but it's a really good resource. So check it out. Go to HVAC360.com slash 102 for the 102nd episode all right well thanks so much for listening hope this was helpful if you know somebody looking for more information on boiler venting why don't you go ahead and share this episode with them if you're not a subscriber again consider going over to the growing community of hvac enthusiasts I don't know why I'm saying enthusiasts, but enthusiasts, people who love HVAC, who want to learn more, who want to be in a community that it's just about growing and learning. So go to HVAC360.com, sign up for that mailing list right there and become part of that. Lastly, if you want to make a uh, review, I would be deeply honored if you give me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the uh, podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. And I'll even give you a shout out on the next show uh, once I know that, that it's there. So, uh, all right. Well, that's a wrap for this week.
And this episode of HVAC 360, I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.